Well, welcome to Crucial Productions. Wait, wait, hold on. Crucial Conversations, a Crucial Productions podcast. Nice. Should I, should I start that way every time? No. Okay. I'm Peter. I'm Kevin. Okay. Now we've started it properly. Yes. All right. So we're in our series on Christology 101. And last week, Kevin, you made a statement that I want us to kind of pick up on and talk about on this episode. Do you remember making a statement? I made lots of statements. Well, there was one of them that, that I want to talk about. Uh, as we were talking about the different passages, you know, where do we go in the Bible for Christology? And you had made this comment about, well, you know, the passage we talked about last week wasn't one of the big ones. Right. It, it's not one of the primary Christology passages. So my thought was, okay, well, what are the primary Christology passages? And then in the midst of that, we talked about Colossians 1, and you made the statement that, we haven't ever really talked about that one yet. We've just kind of referenced it. So today, here's my question. Let's talk about Colossians 1, if you want to. But what are the primary Christology passages? If apparently there's a list. There's a, there's a list. <laughs> well, so here's the problem with Christology. Is that... As we've talked about before, Christology is not quoting a certain Bible passage and saying, see. Um, By the way, that's how I do all my theology. Right. That's how a lot of us like to do that's theology. That's called internet theology, Kevin. Yeah. I am a master exactly. at internet theology. So, Are you saying I shouldn't do normal theology like that? Yeah, I'm saying you shouldn't do anything like that. <laughs> um, so yeah, you're so Christology right. is really the church's conversation about how do you talk about Jesus in a way that is congruent or consistent with the way is the what? congruent. Oh, congruent. Yes. like You said congruent. <laughs> I didn't. You heard congruent. <laughs> it's Monday. Yeah, yeah. Talking. Talking, not good. Bad. So, problem. we want to talk about Jesus in a way that reflects, is that better? The sure. way the New Testament talks about Jesus. That doesn't mean we're going to find one passage that says Jesus is one person with two natures, and those natures are human and divine. That passage doesn't exist. What that is, however, is the culmination of the church's reading of the New Testament scriptures and the Old Testament scriptures, where Christ is presented throughout the text okay, as consistently one person with two natures. And so... There are passages that have more Christological-type statements condensed into a small area, like Philippians 2, Colossians 1, Colossians 2. Um, these are some major places where Christological terms are kind of smushed together, right? So as we talked about Philippians 2, you have the equality with God, you have him taking on the very nature of a servant, being okay being obedient to death, and you also have him being exalted and given the name that's above every name, that over the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. So, so you have... So, my, so I asked the wrong question. My question should have been, Kevin, where in the Bible do we see more Christological smushing? Right, exactly. <laughs> so so you have I think these, I'm going to make that the title of this yeah, episode. <laughs> you, have these high, you have these passages that smush together Christological statements, and we like them because they're kind of right there, and they kind of read like the creed or... First Visa, right? So, <laughs> words. There's yeah, those words, words again. <laughs> and and 
<clears throat> those passages are important for us as we formulate Christology. But you also have to remember that the opponents to Orthodox Christology are reading the same passages. Mm-hmm. So it isn't as though there's a, a passage in the New Testament that makes you go, see, it clearly says here this, and the opponents go, what? I've never read Colossians. <laughs> you know, that that's not, the as we've said in other issues, that's not yeah. the way this works. So just finding the passage that finally says what you want it to say isn't going to win any arguments. And it isn't even actually the best way to confess doctrine. So I think this is, I, I think you and I have had this conversation that this can be one of the dangers of systematics, of, of doing theology systematically. Not that systematics in and of itself is bad, but if you take here, because what systematics does is it takes all of a, the passages on a topic and says, here they all are, so Christology, here's all the Bible verses on Christology, here's what this means, and it kind of puts it all together in a neat package, which can leave you, if you don't understand what's going on, it can leave you with the impression that this is the sum total of all the arguments on this, and anybody who doesn't see it in this way, well, they're just abusing Scripture or ignoring it or you know, using it for their own agenda or, or something like that. Um, kind of same thing with proof texting and developing your list of, we kind of, I, I almost feel like we're running the risk of episodes that deal with different Christological passages where if we take a Bible verse per episode or a Bible passage per episode, we run the risk of creating a series of podcast episodes that are a list of, here it is, and now you know everything and go forth and beat down the heathen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And and that's really a problem is that we're I think the classic for us as as Lutherans I think the classic instantiation of this of this whole idea is 1 Peter 3:21. It's not a Christological passage, it's a baptism passage. Mm-hmm. And 1 Peter 3:21 says baptism which corresponds to this now saves you. Right. So not through a washing of Right, however you Third want to translate the body that part. Yeah, yeah. So, so we say, see, here's a, baptiz- a passage that says baptism now saves. And so we just, whenever someone says baptism doesn't save, we say, yes, it does. First Peter three twenty one. As though Boom, that actually, you lose. Right, you lose, and I win. <laughs> and the problem is, is if we're going to play that game, then we're really going to be in trouble when they have a passage that supports their point of view. And the thing is, they do. Yeah. None of these theologies in, in actual Christian churches or actual Christian theologies are founded on non-biblical principles. They're all reading the Bible and trying to understand it as God intends. And they're actually getting their ideas from the scriptures. <laughs> right? So they go, yeah. well, in the book of Acts, baptism seems to follow faith, not cause it. So the Ethiopian eunuch, he's told about Jesus, and then he says, boy, that sounds good. Can I be baptized? And they say, see, here's a clear passage where baptism follows faith. It doesn't cause it, it follows it. Well, and clearly baptism isn't actually necessary at all because you have the thief on the cross right. next to Jesus. Right, and then you run Jesus. to the thief on the cross, yeah. and you run to other issues, like were the apostles ever baptized in a Christian baptism? You get all these questions. Ooh, we never actually talk about that one. Right. And so you get all these questions, and we're going, 
First Peter three twenty one. First Peter three twenty one. First Peter three twenty one. Romans six. First Peter three twenty one. Right. <laughs> Titus three five. Titus three five. Yeah. And and they're going. Yeah, I know. I've read all those passages. I'm not saying those aren't true. I think you're misreading them. And then we look at them and say, No, no, no. You don't believe in the Word of God because it says right here. <laughs> and and see, that's not actually ever going to help anybody understand theology. Nor is it actually the correct way to do theology. What we want to what we want to help everyone work through, including ourselves, mm-hmm. is to read the text, not find one phrase in one verse that says what I want it to say and start running around shouting that verse, but to read the whole body of Scripture. What does the New Testament consistently teach about Jesus? Right? That's mm-hmm. the question we're trying to answer. What does, in, in baptism, we say, what does the New Testament present as the role of baptism vis-a-vis salvation? Are there passages where baptism is a means through which God delivers salvation to people? Are there passages that say baptism does not deliver salvation to people? Right? Are there mm-hmm. passages that say that believers can be baptized? Are there passages that allow infants to be baptized? That and we start reading the the length and breadth of scripture and saying, you know, you might pick your favorite author and say, does Paul say this? And you can read all of Paul's works, right? All of Paul's letters and say, mm-hmm. Paul develops this theology this way. He talks about baptism in these ways, right? And you have your big passages. But but the point is, you kind of read all of Paul. And then you might expand it to like, you know, say, well, I want to say the synoptic gospels say. What does Jesus say about baptism? What does John say about baptism? And then maybe what do the epistles of Peter say about baptism, right? Mm-hmm. And, you, and you just keep reading, and then you say, okay, now you put all this together. What does the New Testament teach me about baptism? And then what you want to do is you want to say, okay, now how has the church historically dealt with these passages about baptism? How has the church historically? And that's what we're doing in Christology, is we're not just picking passages out and saying, ooh, I found a passage that seems to say that <laughs> Jesus does this because I want him to do that. Yeah. Right. I'm not just going to say, I want Jesus to be God. So I'm going to go through the New Testament and find a way to make him God from the passages we find. Which it's, it's odd to phrase it that way because I don't necessarily know that that's the actual thought going through my head. Right. But I think that's what most people perceive us doing when we proof passage. Ah. We're saying, okay, here's my premise. Everyone should move to Kansas. And Kansas is in the middle of the United States, so anywhere in the Bible where the middle is mentioned as good, that's a pro-Kansas passage. <laughs> right? And so you go through on this weird search, and you find some place in Ezekiel or somewhere, and we're, you know, like, everyone moved to the middle. You're like, see, it's all about Kansas. <laughs> and people look at you like you're from Mars. You say, no, I'm just from Kansas. But Well, yeah, because we know that it's actually Missouri, and the Mormons got exactly, there first. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So... But, but I know that's silly, and that's why I said it, because no one would do that. But that's kind of what people see us doing when we start with the premise of a doctrine and then run through the Bible trying to find passages to back it up. Which, if back to my comment about systematics, if you don't understand the actual role of systematics, that's kind of what you think you're doing with that. Um, in using, when you're reading through your systematics textbook, that's actually the impression you might get from that if you don't understand how that actually fits in to how we do theology. Um, I, I think the, the other thing I wanted to say is when you say people see us doing that, it might not necessarily be other Christians. It could be another Christian if that Christian happens to disagree with the conclusions we're coming to. 
Um, that's that's who is most likely to think you're assuming your premise and then going and finding proof text to go with it. But you'll especially see this in talking with somebody who's not a Christian at all, who who doubts this faith is even true to begin with. So whether it's an atheist or a Muslim or a Buddhist or somebody of an, an, you know, another world religion entirely, that's the individual where you are more likely to hear them saying, you're, you're just assuming Jesus is God, and then going and running finding passages that seem to support your presupposition. Right. I think I think Christians see other Christians doing that as well. Is we say when when we disagree with each other on the right. conclusion. So baptism, right? They do, I mean, we had this conversation with Matt right. where he kind of sees us doing that. Which, yep. by the way, that may be the next episode coming out. Fun, based on your leaving and going to the other side of the world again, and yes. not being able to record. Yes. So I am leaving to go to the almost exact opposite <laughs> side of the world again. Again. Okay, so you were saying other Christians. So other Christians, they they see us, whoever us is, um, having passages that we keep running to, and just repeating the passage over and over. And they and they're kind of saying, well, but what about this whole notion or this whole concept or how to read the scriptures? And that's why, and I I know this gets frustrating for some people, but when we talk about doctrine. It really is not about finding a passage. It's really about learning to read the scriptures, hmm. and it's it's a reading exercise. It's not it's not seeking out on the internet and looking up key phrases and saying, "Ooh, I found it." And it's not looking up and saying the Greek really says or the Hebrew really says. That's that's not how you do theology. But the internet search is how I decide what we're going to talk about on the podcast, Kevin. Yeah, and that's not working out. <laughs> so, see, that's the thing is is it's it's okay for certain things, but it's not how you do theology. Yeah. And and instead, what we're really talking about is we're not we're not questioning whether or not the scriptures are the word of God or are true. Or are inerrant or inspired. We we confess we confess those things. Mm-hmm. We 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 say those things. The scriptures are in, inerrant. They are inspired. They are without error. They are the only source for our doctrine in life. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what we say. Yeah, that's what we believe. That's, that's what we that's believe. Part of our faith. So so we're not questioning whether or not to go to scripture to find the truth about Jesus. What we're questioning is we all have the same scriptures. In the history of the church, some people have read the same scriptures and said Jesus has kind of half a nature and a half a human nature and mostly a divine nature. Other people have read the scriptures and said, Jesus isn't really God. He's just a man that God used. Other people have read the scriptures and said, well, most of Jesus was human, but his brain was still divine. Other people have read the scriptures and said, well, That's the weird. two natures in Christ were were two natures that are easily separable. You could, you could say, well, okay, that's the divine Jesus over there and that's the human Jesus over there. Other people have said... He wasn't human at all. He just appeared to be human. Yeah. He was really God just walking around, and it's, he had occasionally appeared human or took on a body for a little bit to do things that he needed a body for, but he was never actually human. And and we're reading the exact same scriptures as them. We're saying, I really don't agree with that. That's really not what I'm reading here. And that's what this whole point is, is that as we read Colossians 1, as we read Colossians 2, as we read... Um, in the Corinthian correspondence, as we read in Philippians, as we read the Gospel of John, we're not discovering new texts. We're explaining how the church is reading this text is in concert with the teaching of the New Testament. 
And again, as we said a couple weeks ago, the point of Christology is not to prove a philosophical notion about this man named Jesus. Yeah. The point of Christology is this is the Savior of the world. And the way that we confess him as one person with two natures actually plays a part in the way that the New Testament teaches us that he saved us. Hmm. It's important that we confess the truth about Jesus because he is the only name under heaven by which we must be saved. He is the one whose name is exalted above all names, right? This is the one in, in John 4. He is the Savior of the world, you know, John three sixteen. All the passages you think about where Jesus, there, there is no other way to be saved, right? Mm-hmm. We know yep. this. Yep. So when we're talking about Jesus, it's the most important thing for us to talk about because all the aspects of Christology finally impact our salvation. All right, so let's go to Colossians 1. Well, and before we do. Uh, but I was going to go to the Bible, Kevin. I know, but You're before, telling me not be, to go to the Bible yet? I want to go to a different Bible. Oh, okay. Passage. Cool. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8. Okay. 1 Corinthians 2, 8. This is from the English Standard Version, right? I don't know which year mine is, but... Whatever. I have the ESV, ESV as well. It says, None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Hmm. See, this is actually a very important Christological passage because it presents an impossibility. God dying. Well, and (laughs) humans having the ability to kill the Lord of glory. That too. Yep. In the Old Testament, when the Lord of Glory shows up, humans die or are afraid of dying. Mm-hmm. And here, Paul's saying the Lord of Glory was killed by guys who didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> Not only were they killed by guys, they were killed by ignorant guys. Yeah. Well, that doesn't make any sense. So who is this Lord of Glory that he's talking about? He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is is the one who's crucified, right? We know that. So when you read crucified, we're talking about Jesus. Yep. And Jesus is now called the Lord of Glory, which is kind of a divine name, right? Especially mm-hmm. for a Jewish person. And and the weird thing is he's saying this Lord of glory, not only was he crucified, he was crucified because of the will of men who didn't know what they were doing. And, and, and we say, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> this is very far removed from a God who only appears to be human. God seems to be messing up here. Yes. Allowing things that divine, all-knowing everything... Shouldn't be happening. How does the Lord of glory end up in a situation where he's being crucified? I mean, this is crazy language. Yeah. And and see, these are the passages that actually make the church say, How do we talk about this? How do here's a place where you can't just say Jesus is like any other guy on the face of the earth. You know, he's born, grows up, walks around for a while talking about God, and they don't like him, so they kill him. Well, yeah, but he raised from the dead. Yay. You know, it's like, no, it, no, even that, you just kind of mess. There, there's something going on in the New Testament that doesn't, narrative doesn't fit. So or you today's say, narrative, they killed him because he told everybody to be nice to each other and he fed the poor. Right. Which, yeah, makes even less sense. You kill people for that now? But, but the, just the whole narrative that here's this normal guy who lived and died, you kind of go, 
That's not the way the New Testament presents him. Hmm. Paul thinks he is the Lord of glory. And he's not saying that by denying his crucifixion. He's saying that acknowledging his crucifixion. So now a, a good, faithful Pharisee, right, faithful to the Old Testament scriptures, is saying the Lord of glory died. <laughs> That's not possible. So this is what drives us to Christology. Okay. How then do we talk about this Jesus who is the Lord of glory and yet was crucified? Hmm. Okay, and that's where you turn to passages like Philippians 2, or as we're going to do, Colossians 1, to say, well, how does Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians, right, how does the same author, how does he talk about Jesus otherwise? And if you go to Colossians chapter 1, it's really 15 through 20, which is the classic kind of section that's called the Christ hymn. Cool. Um, Shall I read that for some us? Some translations will even have this set aside as, as uh, poetry. Yes, mine does not, but... Mine doesn't either, but okay. some, some translations will. All right, so here, starting at 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. See, there you go. Yeah. So then we turn to this and we say, this Lord of glory who was crucified, one, is Paul consistent in saying this, or is that just kind of a weird thing you wrote in in First Corinthians. Well, what you actually have in, in Colossians chapter 1 is repeated idea that, what does it say at the end there? That this guy who he describes with all these lofty terms, he made peace by the blood of his cross. And two so, verses later, reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. By his death. Yeah. So, so this Jesus that Paul's talking about, he is not hesitant to describe in the loftiest of terms, mm-hmm. terms that you would only use to describe God. Everything was created by him. Yep. Everything he, was created for him. And on all rulers, authorities, everything is underneath him. Right. He rules over all of it. Uh, he holds all things together. That's a pretty lofty statement yeah. right there. <laughs> yeah. Head of the body, the church. Okay, that's interesting. Why is the church thrown into the middle of that? You have all this, here's God and his attributes, and then you have the church thrown in the middle. Because remember, the only reason we're talking about God in the first place, or Jesus in the first place, is because he saves us. Hmm. This is always going to root this. The, the Bible is frustratingly not philosophical. <laughs> it just is. and and this is, Or we, systematic. Well, <laughs> yeah, systematic sometimes. But... It, it is frustratingly not interested in questions that, that we want it to be interested in. You're not going to find a lot of words in the scriptures devoted to explaining the philosophical notion of a divine being. It's just not in there. Hmm. That's not the point. Because we, we're not trying to acknowledge the, the intellectual or rational idea of divinity. What, what the, the scriptures reveal to us is a God who saves us. And the way that God saves humanity is through his son, Jesus. 
And this is the thrust of Scripture. What does God do for me? And not me meaning a person, but me as in a representative of humanity, of a sinful humanity. If, if we are going to conceive of life where there is a divine reality and a human reality, and we're going to presuppose in some way, shape, or form, those two things have to interact at some point. Mm-hmm. If that divine reality says that the human reality is less than perfect and he's going to punish that, we're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. And and that's the problem is that the scriptures are explicitly clear that God is going to punish it. Sin means you die. Mm. And there's no getting out of it. If you sin, you die. It's clear. Mm-hmm. And so then the scriptures say, what do I do before a God who makes that kind of pronouncement? And the answer is you do nothing. You die. But God, the one who is holy, the one who is running the show, he's the one who sends his own son to save you. He fixes the problem. You don't fix it. He does. Which is really good news because God is really good at doing things that he wants to do. Mm -hmm. And so when he says, I'm going to send my son to save you, that's the point of these Christological passages, is who is this Jesus? He's the Savior of the world. Yeah, he's also God in the flesh. And the way he saved the world was by being God in the flesh. So all of a sudden you have this, this whole hymn to the the all-supremacy of Christ and, and these lofty terms, and all of a sudden, yeah, and he's the head of the church. <laughs> it's like, well, What? Yeah, and, and he, you know, yeah, by that's his why blood that stuck out right there yeah. in the middle to me. And he did it by the blood of the cross. What? <laughs> you know, this is amazing. This is this passage is just you can get so consumed with with describing Jesus in lofty terms, and then Paul just slams you back down the earth and says, and it's on the cross that all this matters. Well, and if we continue on, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So See, he, and he that's, goes right down. It's like, right. yeah, it's for you. Right. That's <laughs> the point of all this. What's this so, if, if clause, though? That kind of worries me. Oh, stop being worried about such if things. If indeed you continue in the faith. Go to church every Sunday, read the word, receive the sacraments. That's it? That's it. Just go. <laughs> Do it. If you're worried about falling away, if you're worried about not continuing the faith, here's my advice. Continue in the faith. <laughs> I mean, this, wait a minute. Just because we're not saved by works doesn't mean we shouldn't get up and go to church on Sunday. Right. You're right. And just because I'm not saved by works doesn't mean I should neglect reading scripture. So, mm-hmm. so the fact that I'm not saved by works actually frees me to do these things, not hoping that I can do enough to earn God's favor, but I do these things because of the grace of God. Yeah. And I learn, I learn as the scripture teaches me. I learn to rejoice in the grace of God so that I want my life to be marked by his word. I want his word to be the defining factor in my life. So the the bondage to sin is believing that I have to do these things in order to please God or to be saved. The freedom from that sin is 
I'm going to do these things because I want to do these things. They're well, good things to do. Because they're the best things to do. Yeah. This is... Yeah, and, and you and I have talked about this before, but, but I, th- I still think one of the biggest lies that the church still believes is that sin is more fun. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've even heard pastors talk about this. It's, well, you know, yeah, I have to do my churchy stuff, but when I get free time, I want to go do this. And it's like, well, so you're literally saying that reading the Bible, going to church, meditating on the Word, serving your neighbor, right? Mm-hmm. Living self-controlled and God-pleasing lives is boring. <laughs> and what we need is the freedom to go have real fun and God not to get upset with us. Right. Well, that is that is so non-Christian. That is so anti-New Testament, right? Paul is clear. Don't do those awful things. That's not of God. That's not of the Spirit. You've died <laughs> to those things. Don't live in them any longer. That's what Paul says. Now, now when you say it that way, I, it makes me think that you're talking about like gross sin, you know, going looking at pornography or something like that. Right. Well, of course I'm not going to do those things, Kevin. Well, I know duh. those are wrong. Yeah, those are obviously wrong. I'm not talking about that. I'm just doing the things I enjoy. Like? Like, what do you want to do? I suppose anything that's not those other things is basically what we're putting in this category. Well, so then we say, well, I have to be entertained, and therefore the things that entertain me have to be okay, because God, God wants me to fulfill my vocation of being with my wife and to spend time with her. I want to watch that show on Netflix, even though it might not really be a Christian show or might actually have anti-Christian things in it. It's okay for me. My faith is strong enough. Ah, That's what I'm talking about. Okay. And all of a sudden what we have done is we've used our faith as an excuse to sin, yeah, to do what I want to do, not what God wants me to do. So, and, and I know I get in trouble. I will get in trouble for this. But but we don't re- have enough people listening. Yeah, don't to worry, us to nobody. Get in trouble. Yeah. We're good. The three people that listen won't get that upset. Um, <laughs> but when we talk about Scripture, when we talk about Christ, when we talk about the way that Paul and the other New Testament, New Testament writers picture the Christian life, you, you have to admit it is it is entirely focused on God's Word. Mm-hmm. Psalm one, right? You meditate on the Word of God day and night. You know we. We want our minds to be captive to the mind of Christ. We want to, you know, Colossians chapter 3, since we're in Colossians, you, you want to set your mind on things above. You want to, why? He doesn't say, so that you will die and be left with Christ. No, he says, because you have been raised with Christ, right? Since, therefore, you have been mm-hmm. raised with Christ, set your mind on things above. And, and that's the goal. It's not that I'm saying you have to sit and read the Bible 24 hours a day. The point is, the scriptures inform your decisions, they inform what you treasure as good. You don't let the world tell you what's good. You don't let your sinful flesh tell you what's good and what's to be pursued. You let the scriptures teach you that. And this is what Paul is actually saying in this Christ hymn, is that Christ came as the actual proper one that everything is supposed to be in allegiance toward. Does that make sense? He's the firstborn of creation. He's above all. All things, all of this stuff that you've got, all the stuff you're seeing, all mm-hmm. the stuff you use, it's his. It's created through him, it's created for him, and he's holding it all together. So if you are using that and you belong to him, you ought to be using it to his glory. Mm-hmm. And if you're taking something that belongs to him and using it against him, you are not living your life 
the way God desires and the way God has set you free from your sin to live. See, you have been set free from sin because of the work of Christ, not so you can back return to sin, but so you can live in Christ. And this is what this whole Christology notion is, is that when God does all this in Christ to set us free, he doesn't just remove sin from us and now we're just walking around with nothing. No, he actually (laughs) removes sin and gives to us instead the Spirit right yeah who leads us into all righteousness who who directs us so that we can walk like Jesus walked so we can look at the person and nature of Christ and say you know this is this is God in the flesh this is God's son my savior and he teaches me how to live he's the one who defines when we're we're talking about christology specifically and how we learn to read scripture according to that but in the second part of the Colossians passage that we've been discussing, I'm kind of doing the same thing with with that and how are we to live. Well, this morning with with my family, we were reading through Philippians, just got Mm -hmm. to the end of chapter four, and this was the discussion with my kids this morning, and specifically the you know the famous I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me four thirteen verse yeah there the four thirteen there and there we're it is. we're going through that but and then talking to my kids okay well what what does Paul mean what's he talking about and what are the conditions he's talking about and well having everything or having nothing the abundance the one mm-hmm. the rich and poor and we kind of we got into a discussion about okay well being okay with being poor does that mean we shouldn't be good stewards of our stuff and to take care of it and watch out for our stuff and protect it and keep people from stealing? And so you, you When did it become s- your stuff? Well, and exactly. That's kind of where it went. When did it become whose stuff is it? Mm-hmm. And then, the, of course, it's like, well, what if somebody breaks into our house and wants to take it? And I was like, well, Jesus said if somebody asks you for your tunic, what do you do? Give me your cloak as well. Yeah, and my kids were like, wait, Uh hold on. And it's like, guys, look what we're doing. We're treating it as ours that Mm -hmm. we have to hold on to Mm -hmm. as opposed to, no, this doesn't belong to us. Right. And we can be content if we have it or if we don't have it. The point isn't be good stewards and keep it, which is what we end up doing and twisting. And my wife was like, or going out and buying a gun to make sure you can shoot the person who's trying to take it. I think it's a little weird to me, you know, (laughs) and I know, I know people have different opinions out there, but that uh, one gets a little weird to me. But just think of like, as you're reading, I guess what I'm trying to talk about is we do this with Christology and read scripture so that we can read it through the lens of Christ. But that's not the only thing we do as that's not the only topic as we're reading scripture it's good to say okay where else does scripture talk about how to live Mm -hmm. and what it looks like to live as a christian so and and what if we were as dogmatic about those passages are we always about the ones that defend the doctrines we like well what's interesting is in these two examples both have come almost immediately after major christological Mm -hmm. passages Mm -hmm. here's who jesus is here's what he's done for you now live this way Mm mm-hmm which is pretty much Paul's whole system. <laughs> yeah. You talk about a systematic theology. That's pretty much Paul's whole system. Hmm. Is this is who you are outside of Christ. And the result of that is not good. Mm-hmm. This is what God has done about it. Now, realize, you don't have to be circumcised to be part of that. It's just given to you by grace through faith. That's Paul's letters, right? Yep. And yep. he says, okay, now that we got that straight, here's how you live. Don't live like this hasn't affected you. Because yeah. it has. It has moved you from death to life. So don't live in the stuff that causes death anymore. Live now in life. 
and and that's the the move um, that we can't ignore. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Paul one hundred percent teaches that we are saved by grace through faith because of what Christ did has done. No effort on my behalf. Divine monergism, one hundred percent. That's mm-hmm. what Paul teaches. That's what the New Testament teaches, without a doubt. Yep. That is that is the doctrine on which the church stands and falls. No question there, right? Yep. That's yep. how we're saved. So I when mean, it that's comes, that's why Paul brings up the church in the middle of Colossians here. Exactly. <laughs> and when it comes to how do I relate to God, it has nothing to do with my good works. He's not saying I'll love you more if you do ten good works today. I'll love you less if you do five. That's not how this works. Right. Right. I mean, maybe for God, that's because of what Christ has done. And if I'm in him, it's forgiven. And if I'm outside of Christ, then I'm outside of God's grace. I mean, it's just, that's just the New Testament teaching. And there's going to be a day when when Jesus comes and pronounces a final judgment, right? Mm-hmm. We're affirming all of that. We're not denying any of that. Now, because you are in Christ, how do you live? That's what we're getting at, right? Mm-hmm. We're not saying you learn to live this way so that God will love you more or you'll, have, you'll be a better Christian or something. <laughs> no, I, I don't care about better or more. The fact is, the God of the universe has looked at this miserable sinner and sent his son to bear my sins in his body on the cross when he had done nothing wrong. He did it out of pure love for me, which I don't deserve. Mm -hmm. Even on my best day, I don't deserve that. And when I said, okay, you've done all this to save me, what do I have to do to get it? He said, do it's done <laughs> it's the whole point i just it's did everything done. it's yours here it is you can hear it in the word you can receive it in holy baptism you receive it in the lord's supper every week as you feed on the body and blood of christ in with under bread and wine it's there it's free it's yours and then what we're saying is that's amazing now how do i live because of all that mm-hmm. and paul says don't live like none of that's true live like all of it is true well, there is a sense in which that's amazing. I want to do something now because of that. Yeah, good. And that's actually okay. That's, love God that's, and love your neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go do it. I'm not kidding. Go yep, do it. Right. And that's that's exactly what we're saying. Yeah. And 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 when as we read these Christological passages, I think Peter was something you've really brought out, which is which is just really good to to reiterate is these are not passages that are isolated. Yeah. They are in letters that continue. Mm-hmm. So as you're reading Philippians two. That's the same letter as Philippians 4. Yeah. <laughs> right? Paul wrote this together. It's not so, and that's a very good point that you made earlier is that, you know, these Christological passages almost bring us to these other parts of the letters. Yeah. Like Colossians 1 and 2 leads to Colossians 3, and Philippians 2 and, and leads into 3, which leads into 4. And, and read it that way. That's why I was saying earlier, we want to read the entire text and get, yeah. and get a. a an idea of how do you read the scriptures and, and really what we're advocating in this from this Christological discussion we're having, which kind of went away from Christology a little bit today is that a good Christological reading of scripture is a pervasive reading of scripture where Christ is the point. Hmm. Christ as one person of Jesus, two natures in Christ, divine and human, for the salvation of sinners. Mm-hmm. That's how you read scripture. Yeah. And if and if you're reading scripture and and trusting in the in the word of God and the Holy Spirit working in you, you actually learn to live because of that. Yeah. And that is the crucial conversation. It's why we're doing this. And normally I'd say we'll see you next week, but really quick. If all goes according to plan, the next episode you will hear on Crucial Conversations uh, will 
take place on Reformation Day, October 31st, because of Kevin's travel, so we'll have yes. a couple weeks in between here. Um, but it is going to be a two-part conversation with Matt Whitman of the 10-Minute Bible Hour. And he was here in the St. Louis area um, back in September doing some recording for a project of his. Yep. And as since he was here, I said, hey, Matt, you want to come on our podcast? Because he's not a Lutheran. Right. And we wanted to kind of have, kind of, Kevin, like you've said, we're reading the same Bible. Yep. We're reading the same passages, and yet we come to different conclusions on on these things. And so we had a fantastic conversation with Matt where we kind of hashed out some of these yep. different conclusions and how does he get where he gets and he's asking us how we get where we get and pastor will will whedon was on with us as well for part of that um so that'll be a two-part episode first episode coming out october 31st and then we'll be back to our normal tuesday release date after that but kevin any further comments on that you want to make listen it was it was a really i mean listen as in listen to the podcast it was really (laughs) a fun conversation um i think the cool thing about matt is he he really does want to understand and it was fun to talk to somebody who wasn't raised lutheran who isn't lutheran yeah <laughs> but but actually cares enough to to think through what we teach and why and and kind of ask some some probing questions and to kind yeah. of say hey i've heard this about you guys i've heard you teach this what's up yeah so it was he's a he's a good guy it was fun to talk to talk to him and um and just one other thing i would say is is you know as you listen to that show and as you as you encounter things even in the way that we treat other Christians, it's sprinkled by grace. Yeah. Right. And and we want to always point to Christ and and affirm brothers and sisters in Christ in the reality of what Christ has done. And so that was an op- a great opportunity to sit down with a brother in Christ who we admittedly disagree on some things. But we actually started the episode on okay, let's talk about what the gospel is and see if we agree on right. that. Yeah. And oh boy, we did. Yeah, we really do. <laughs> As a matter of fact. There were times talking where he he literally said, "It's great to hear you say that because that's exactly how I would say it." Yeah, you know, that's that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. and and it was great to just to sit down with the brother. Or in times Christ where and, we were like, "Oh, we'd never said it that way, but that's really that's good. good. I yeah, like I that." that. Yeah. So it was it was really great. So yeah, yeah, listen if you can. Cool. All right. Well, that's it for today. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks.